0: This is Alberta Matters on 630 Chen Mornings. we're talking about Alberta Matters the booze boom and how there's a big booze boom going on in Alberta with craft breweries and distilleries and that sort of thing. So this morning we are delighted to have a guest in studio Jeff Stewart who is actually the owner of Rig Hand Distillery and I'm sure most people are becoming aware of Rig Hand now. uh, When we first started out nobody even knew what craft distilling was. Exactly, yeah. It
1: was a challenge for sure educating people but we don't go very many places anymore. Yeah, I bet not. Our name isn't recognized so we're very happy that the work we've done is paying off.
0: How long did that take to happen. How long has Rig Hand been around? We're in our fifth year now. uh,
1: We were the second craft distillery to get licensed in the province. Uh, There's 38 craft distilleries now. So it's definitely has been booming for sure. Um, And there's I think 16 more applications pending right now.
2: So is that something that makes you nervous as a a distiller or is that something that you're welcoming? I think
1: it's fantastic. I, I think that There's enough market for everybody, and uh, we encourage other distilleries to start up. Our facility actually is a teaching facility too, so we offer courses for guys that are thinking about getting into this industry. Uh, We do some consulting services to help other guys get started. Uh, We're willing to help anybody, really. Uh, We think... The consumer wins when there's this many choices.
2: Yeah, it's probably that attitude that's led to your success in a large way too, right? It's part of it for sure, and and uh, constant striving to be
1: innovative and make new products that nobody's made before. We can't even begin to compete with the Shmirnovs and Seagrams of the right. world on a volume basis. So the only way we can compete with them is to make really high quality products and find niches that they overlook to make strange flavors or come up with new new uh, liquors that they would never bother to invest the right. time into develop. And yeah. obviously, there's a market for that. People are looking for that as well, right? It seems like that's you know, craft beer started it. Yeah, the mm-hmm. the craft beer aficionados they want to try a new beer all the time. Yeah, it seems like they don't want to taste the same thing twice. You yeah, know? exactly. And uh, most distilleries when they historically we started up, they would just make vodka and they would barrel whiskey and wait for it to age the three or four years minimum that it needed to be aged. Uh, we kind of broke that mold when we started and we make over 50 products. So we thought, we're never going to make one thing that everybody likes. Mm-hmm. But if we make enough things, there'll be one of them that they like. Right, so yeah, it was the theory. And these people that want to taste something different all the time, we can satisfy that itch for them, you know, scratch that itch.
2: So I guess tell us a little bit about how this all came to be. Was it, were you... Like, how? (laughs) Did you want to start a distillery? And what what did you want to start with? Did you want to start with vodkas? Did you want to start with gin and then go from there? Was the idea always to create lots of products?
1: No, it wasn't. uh, And originally, we weren't even going to start a distillery. Uh, We were going to start a brewery. Because I thought... if. Uh, the craft beer rules had changed. I thought if you can't sell beer in Alberta, there's something wrong with you,
0: right? <laughs> mm-hmm.
1: Yeah. And uh, we were on holiday in Ohio uh, and we toured a craft distillery down there. And I mentioned to the owner that we were thinking about starting a brewery. And this guy told me that I hadn't done my research very well, that I should look at the ratio of breweries to distilleries in places where this has been legal to do small production forever. So this law that just changed five, six years ago in Alberta changed in Washington State almost 25 years ago. And the ratio of breweries to distilleries down there Turns out is almost eight hundred to one. So, wow. uh, so wow. the guy had some really good advice, and I, honestly, I'd never been in a distillery before. I toured his facility. I thought, well, this is the coolest thing I've ever seen. I'm going to go home and start one. <laughs> so, <laughs> so it was kind of on a whim like that. I, I've what had a, a perfect couple chance
2: other, encounter though.
1: Well, absolutely, yeah, and it, w- it was partially orchestrated. You know, I had a friend that that knew this guy, and he has ended up being a, a great mentor for me over the years. Actually, um, the the making the different flavors was just something that. I think we, uh, we have a short attention span sometimes. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah,
0: yeah. <laughs> I
1: guess that's the best way to explain it. Yeah. And we want to try making new things all the time. So, uh, you know, back when we first started doing this, uh, there was a really steep learning curve. But then once you get to, got a, a good base on how to make a good vodka or yep. a good gin, then once we knew the rules then we could break the rules on purpose and try to make things that nobody ever made before. So that's what's really fun about this job is that constant ability to use your creativeness to come up with new things.
0: What kind of production levels are we talking about here? Obviously, you've gotten bigger and bigger over the years, but what kind of... Output? Are you guys doing now? So we're. I uh, well, started five years ago with me and my
1: buddy Mike, and he used to moonshine with me in the garage before this was a legal yeah. thing to do. And a little <laughs> tiny still that was maybe twenty-five liters. And yeah. now we've got thirty-four people that work there, and we're building our fourth still. Uh, we have a fifteen-thousand-square-foot facility that we've outgrown again. Wow. Uh, and we can we can make fifty thousand bottles a week if we have to. Holy cow! Uh, yeah. So we're growing. Uh, we're really looking to export markets drastically yep, right yep. now um, we're fairly restricted within Canada there's a lot of interprovincial trade barriers yes. yeah yeah uh, and it's one of the biggest issues that faces our industry right now uh, so we're turning to international uh, markets instead because it's actually easier for me to ship the stuff to Texas or to China or Mexico or someplace like that than it is for me to ship it to British Columbia That's or Ontario ridiculous. <gasps> what it, it, it's bizarre it, and The governments are working on it and trying to resolve these issues, and it all boils down to taxes is what it is. Okay. So uh, on one 750-milliliter bottle, there's over $16 in taxes. Holy man. So think of that. You're going to buy a 2.6, $16.40 tax on that bottle. No, it's that that governments are fighting over who gets that tax Right, yeah, sure, yeah. So, uh, the way liquor is supposed to work with taxation is the taxation is supposed to be applied to the jurisdiction where the bottle is sold. Okay. So, if I manufacture it here, and I sell it in a liquor store in British Columbia, the federal government gets their share, and the British Columbia government would get their share. Okay. Right? But then the Alberta government doesn't get anything. Right.
0: And so, they're raising a stink.
1: Well, the... Alberta's is the most open province there is. Okay. They're they're okay with that, but the other provinces aren't. You know, Alberta is the only one that lets anybody come here and put their liquor on the market yep. and and sell it. There's no restriction. There's no tasting panel. Nothing like that. Whereas in these other provinces, it's it's quite a rigmarole. We we've been trying to get into BC for four years. Wow, I can't do it. And we keep applying. We've been trying to get into Ontario. We can get. We've ma- managed to get our products into Saskatchewan. Yeah, there's a very high taxation rate there. Oh um, yes, there is. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, and into Manitoba as well. But those are the only two Canadian provinces we've been able to get into. Unreal. Yeah.
2: So when you're looking at international markets, and you're looking, you mentioned a couple places in the States. Is that kind of the focus?
1: Yeah, so we have an importer based in uh, Dallas-Fort Worth because our bottle looks like a drilling rig. Yeah, it's made perfect. perfect. So, it would be yeah. welcome there, yeah. yeah. Yep. So he helped us get our products registered with the federal government in the U.S. and get our facility approved by the FDA. That whole process was a couple of years to get that done. And now we have to go state by state and get the our products approved. So we're approved in Texas and Arizona so far, and we're working on the other drilling states, I call them. Um, We've also got an importer running around in Europe right now trying to market our stuff. And that's really exciting for us uh, because they're talking with Costco and Carrefour and these Big, the big, massive big places, ones. right? And some sometimes when they start talking about the numbers of production, what they need, <laughs> it gets a little bit scary for us. Yeah, right? yeah, you know, for sure. Uh, if they want fifteen thousand cases, uh, I got a letter of intent from from this broker a couple days ago, actually. Yeah. And they're saying, can you make fifteen thousand cases by this time? Right. End of July, and I get my calculator out and I'm doing the math on it. I'm like, we can do it, but it's going to be a push. Right? we are on the so, clock, yeah. So now the next step is hopefully we get a purchase order from. Them, yeah. Then we get going full bore and ramp it up. Yeah. Hopefully, fingers are crossed on that one. That's a big deal. So yeah.
0: But with that kind of growth, obviously, like you were telling us earlier, you, you're you're getting new facilities. You're expanding like crazy here. Yeah. So the building that we're in, we just keep taking more
1: bays of it. You know, it's it's an oil field. Uh, a building in yep. Nisku. Okay. And uh, we started with one bay and then took the second one around to having, you know, half the building. <laughs> <laughs> and, and we rent that space, so it's getting quite expensive. So um, we've always had the vision of having a working farm distillery. So last spring we bought some farmland just on the edge of Nisku. It's okay. directly east of the departure lounge at the International Airport right. two miles. Uh, so it's not too far off the beaten path, yeah. but it's just on the edge of the industrial area where it feels like you're out in the country. And uh, we have enough land there to farm some of our own input ingredients and we're, as soon as the frost comes out of the ground, we're, we're going to start building something that basically looks like Fort Edmonton Park. Wow! Oh, okay. So it's, We want the building to look like it's been there uh, for a hundred years yeah, already yeah. as soon as it's finished. And it'll kind of look like a grain of a elevator attached to a bank, attached to a sheriff's office office attached to a saloon with a second story oh, thing, event center where we could host weddings or corporate events and things like that okay. and it'll be a place where I call city people you know I, I'm, a, I'm a farm kid right <laughs> where city people could come out and see a working farm and see the crop growing and then see what we do to take those products and turn them into a value-added product at the end because so,
2: that's something that's really important yeah, to you too, is locally you, yeah. sourcing your ingredients it, right it's
1: the number one principle that drives craft actually so we're we're obligated to buy as close to home as we possibly can, and in in turn that supports our lo- local economy. You know, we're buying from local farmers with our grains and our potatoes and things that we that we use. Also, uh, you know, we have 32 flavored vodkas. All those flavor ingredients are grown by local farmers okay. as well. We have four kinds of gin. All the botanicals for the gin are either grown by local farmers or foraged in the river valley oh really they, eh? they grow wild here so and all the craft guys are doing that so the amount of local spin-off the amount of spin-off economically for uh, you know when it comes to employment uh you know we don't automate yeah. things we hire people that's part of the reason we have so many people that work at our facility the big corporations automate everything You know, the biggest distillery i've seen is in missouri the building is six acres Really? It's insane. And it's all run by a couple guys sitting at a computer like you're sitting at. Yeah, yeah. it's all computerized, right? So it doesn't create a lot of economic benefit. Yeah, yeah. They're buying their grains from the cheapest place on the planet. Wherever they can get it. You know, it's coming by the train car from Armenia or someplace like that, you know. Here, we're literally buying most of our grain from a guy a mile away, you know. And we know it's a good, high quality supplier. Uh, We know that there's consistency to what they're growing. And he loves the fact that he can say to people, that, that ball of vodka is made from my wheat. Yeah,
0: right. It's yeah. really cool, you know. Yeah, and, then, and then the end product, it's like you say, with these massive companies, you don't know what you're getting, and it's it's all sort of run through a giant machine, but with these local things forged from the River Valley and stuff, that's an added cachet to your product, Well, too. it's real
1: ingredients, too. Yeah. Nobody wants artificial anymore. Nobody wants corn syrup dumped into their right, yeah, kinda, yeah. You know, you can go to a liquor store and just grab any flavored vodka from one of the big companies and just turn around the label and read the back of it. Yeah, and it's gonna say artificial flavors, artificial colors, corn syrup, and a bunch of stuff you can't pronounce. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And if you pick up a bottle of craft, you know, our raspberry vodka, for instance, read the back of the bottle label. It says vodka, raspberries. That's it. That's it. Yeah. And and I believe the consumer really cares about that. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I agree. And I also believe that the consumer cares where the end. Dollar ends up. absolutely. Yeah. You know, yes. Uh, the fact that it's supporting the local economy, uh, I think that's a huge thing. It's what craft is doing is building businesses that are the opposite of the Walmart bottle of business. Yeah, where yeah. when you spend your dollar, it leaves your community and never comes back. Exactly. The money spent at a craft place stays in the community and circulates.
2: And you guys are no stranger to helping out the community in terms of your charity work, too. We've got some texts coming in. You're getting a lot of love from uh, our thanks, listeners right thanks now. Thanks, everybody. Uh, Dennis <laughs> saying that you guys just do incredible work with uh, Wheels for Wishes. Another person saying, uh, I love your guests. What a great story. I think that appetite to support local and to support our own is huge, especially here right now. Um, you can People can watch more and see a little bit more about you guys. You guys have a TV show on we, Global. D-
1: we got lucky, yeah. So uh, Global TV... Uh, airs a television show called Still Shots and it's a reality based show. I don't know if anybody's seen the Moonshiner show on Discovery. Moonshiners. So it's not as (laughs) it's not as uh, silly as that show.
0: (laughs) With the ridiculous characters (laughs) and the rednecks and the whole thing. It's a
1: little more sophisticated, but what we do on on our program is uh, we show our farmers. Uh, and we interview them and they talk about their fourth generation farm and how their little boy can't wait to take it over when he gets older. We show some of our process at the distillery. We show the guys down the road from us uh, Gruger Family Fungi that take our used grain and turn it into food for their mushrooms. We show some of the local uh, pubs and restaurants that serve our stuff. So it's basically a community program. So our second season just ended at Christmas time. It's a program that airs in the fall. Um, We're pretty excited. We just did a deal with Amazon Prime Direct. And they're going to start streaming our past nice. episodes here next uh, next month. So we just get some paperwork to finish out with that. So wow. so yeah, it's uh, it's a way for us to get our. Story out to more people. Uh, we've had a lot of people come into our facility over the last five years. Uh, we're counting over 75,000 people now have come to visit us. Cool. We do tours every day that we're open, it's free.
2: And you host events too. People can have parties do, there. Yeah,
1: after hours we do private events, yeah. absolutely. There's a little bit of a charge for that kind of stuff. And, and it's really cool if people take the time to come out and NISQ. It's not as far as everybody thinks <laughs> no, it is, it's, it's, not that it's bad. 10 minutes. Yeah. yeah. And it takes about an hour to tour the floor and learn about the process and then go into our tasting room and try some little samples and we've got a store there and that sort of thing but not everybody's going to make it out there so the TV show was a way for us to get our story that we tell during our tours yeah. out to more people, and and to help promote our partners that we work with that have helped make us successful over the last few five years. So uh, we'll start filming season three of Still Shots in about a month. Okay. And uh, the main focus of this season is going to be documenting the build on the our new buildings Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. But we'll still be talking with a lot of our other partners that we work with too.
0: Amazing story that you say you started this in the garage, <laughs> <Yeah>. doing it <laughs> illegally. I mean, five years later, <laughs> if any we idea got that caught, this would happen?
1: Uh, we, trouble, it right? would have been a two hundred and twenty thousand dollar fine.
0: Ooh, yeah. Oh man. So, yeah. so
1: don't do and, this at home. And that's actually still the fine today. If okay. you don't have a license, if you're if you're in your garage doing this, yeah you, you shouldn't be. <laughs> yeah, no It's dangerous, too. It's really dangerous. Yeah, you know, a, a distillery is different than a brewery. Uh, when alcohol goes through a still, as soon as it gets above 55% alcohol... Yeah. Uh, it's, it's a bomb. B- it's a bomb, yeah. If there's a spark at room temperature and there's vapor, it blows up. Yeah. So that's part of the reason why you don't see distilleries on Jasper Ave. Right. Uh, when we started, they wanted us to go... Out, out uh, on refinery road. Is that right? Oh, no, <laughs> uh, industrial areas. Yeah, and I, I, think because before craft came along, distilleries were that big. You know yeah, what I'm talking yeah. About? And I, I tried to explain to the zoning officers. No, that's you don't understand. That's not what we're trying to build here. Now that the industry evolved. There's a better understanding about the scale of what we do. There's a little more leniency now. So uh, actually, a friend of mine was able to open a distillery just off of White Avenue. Oh, wow. Yeah, uh, Strathcona Spirits, Adam is a friend of ours. So uh, he has the smallest craft distillery in North America, actually. Really? <laughs> yeah. And it's about the size of a garage, but he does <laughs> make some amazing products there. Uh, there's some guys on the West End, Hanson Distillery. There's some guys out in Sherwood Park and St. Albert. So the... The industry is really, really growing, and I encourage people to take the time to go and tour around from distillery to distillery to distillery and see the differences between... See what people are doing. Absolutely, because everybody's doing something different. when this law changed about five years ago, there was five of us that got licensed within the first six months yeah, or so. Yeah, and uh, we call ourselves the original five, I guess. Yeah. And uh, we kind of sat down and made a gentleman's agreement to not step on each other's toes. So one of our best-selling products is garlic-flavored vodka. Mm-hmm. Believe it or not, uh, really, it makes a phenomenal great Caesar. Yeah, they, <laughs> yeah, you had it. Yeah. So, uh, so the other four guys don't make garlic. Season, okay, okay, garlic vodka, I should say. Uh, the guy in Banff at Park Distillery makes a sriracha chili vodka. Mm-hmm. So we don't make that. So
2: everything kind of complements yeah, one exactly.
1: another. Yeah, exactly. Like be creative enough to come up with your own flavors yeah, and, yeah. and that sort of thing. So we're working collaboratively to try and steal market share from those big companies. The big guys, yeah. yeah. So we're not competition to one another. We're all comrades in arms here.
2: I think awesome. that attitude has uh, it's it has to be something that's that's led to your success. That idea idea that there's enough to go around. Yeah, exactly. We're going to have to cut you off here, Jeff. I think we can probably talk to you for the the next <laughs> (laughs) next hour and you're getting so much love and support on the text lines here we just love hearing your story and great story whether it's the garlic vodka or the double double creamer you guys are making great products and i can't wait to see what you guys get up to next
1: thank you very much for having me thanks for being here thank you for coming in